Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Because Money podcast. This is season two, and uh, today we will be talking about DIY. That stands for do-it-yourself investing. And we've got a guest. We've got the holiest of potatoes, John Robertson. And this episode is called, is subtitled, The Potato is Back in Town. John has actually joined us three times count them three times on the Because Money podcast in the past. So he is a very distinguished guest. You can find him in episode eight, which was called Borrowing Money Isn't Your Sacred Right as a Canadian. Episode 14, Why You, Yes, You, Should Care About How Financial Advice is Regulated. And he joined us in episode 23, Anonymous Advice and the Value of Simple, which was at the time the book he was writing. Now he is an author, mathematician, PhD, all-around good guy, father, husband, and four-time Because Money guest. So Sandy's going to kick off the show, talk about everything, and we're going to go there. And uh, I guess I should introduce Kyle there as well, who didn't get the memo to wear a cardigan sweater. But that's okay. We scheduled all of us. We're all here. He didn't get the cardigan sweater memo. Sandy didn't either. But hey, here we go. Sandy, on to you. Well, hello. <laughs> I really like getting thrown to by Jackson out of the blue. <laughs> um, so this so this week's episode, we're talking about um, who should be a DIY investor. So very often you'll run into, this is kind of along the just theme that we've been talking about um, a lot this season. You'll run into a lot of people on Reddit who are really well-meaning along the lines of that anonymous advice piece that we did with John not too long ago. Um, and they'll say, well, you should just... DIY. You should just, I mean, don't pay high mutual fund fees. Don't pick your own, or do pick your own stocks, but do it yourself. Um, you should just, you know, be your own portfolio manager. And so today I thought we could have a really great discussion about who actually should be their own portfolio manager. Kyle, what did you think when we started talking about this? Uh, my response was, if you can do grade 10 math, you should be a DIY investor. Uh, I, I teach uh, personal finance to grade 11 students, and by the end, I'm reasonably certain uh, if, if they took one of the options that John, for example, has presented in his book, maybe not the most complicated of the options, but one of the lower maintenance DIY options, they could easily be DIY investors with about 10 minutes a month of effort. Uh, they'd have to do a little reading before that, but... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident that almost any Canadian with a grade 10 uh, math education could be a DIY investor. Oh, but you said could, but should could. they? Are there people that, okay, so let's, let me ask you this then. Are there people that just obviously shouldn't? And I don't mean like insulting, but is there a certain type of person or a certain type of profile that you think, mm, no, I don't think you should? I don't, I'm, I'm so biased in this. I, I don't like the idea of handing money over to somebody else to do for me. Uh, there's some interesting stuff about robo-advisors that maybe we can talk about another day. But I think if we're talking about stock picking, that's another, that's another, that's a totally different discussion for me. But if we're talking about do-it-yourself investing where you are just establishing a very basic plan for your uh, funds and your goals, uh, I think... Again, I, I, I would like to see 80 to 90% of Canadians as do-it-yourself investors that they should be. Uh, I realize that's not really um, 
a near goal or a near term goal. But I would I would like to see it. Uh, one because I get a lot more traffic to my website. Uh, but but uh, two because Canadians would have a lot more wealth. Right, so if I can just jump in and bore people for a moment. Kyle mentioned some numbers, so I'd like to just start with a couple of numbers. I did a tiny bit of background research before coming on here. So first off, about 25% of Canadians have some kind of self-directed account out there. However, only half of those are actually do-it-yourself investors. Most of them, or half of them, have that self-directed account, but still use the services of an advisor to help them manage their investments, or they opened the account and ended up not using it. Uh, about 33% of Canadians in a survey that's now a couple years old wanted to invest on their own, but didn't have the knowledge or confidence to get started. So somewhere around a half to two-thirds of Canadians look like they want to get into do-it-yourself investing or have already started, and most of those have not yet started. So there's a big, big portion of the population that could be do-it-yourself investors that might want to be do-it-yourself investors but are facing barriers right now. And I think a large number of that sort of thirds to two-thirds number could be do-it-yourself investors. I'm not sure if we'd get to 90-some percent, but you know, I'm thinking the majority of Canadians could be good do-it-yourself investors, both from the grade 10 math point of view of the limiting uh, factors of what they're just able to do, as well as the behavioral factors of should they be doing it. Now, well, there's still not going to be everyone. So now if we want to get back to your point, Sandy, about who should be doing it, we can talk about that a little bit more. Well, you know, you actually, your statistics made me think of another UD question. So maybe the people who would do it, we can narrow it down. The people who opened the accounts and didn't actually follow up, we could say, you know, after a certain point in time, maybe you shouldn't be the one doing it because you're not. What happens with the next thing you have to do? So you have to open up the account. You have to decide how you're going to fund it. You've got to kind of plan for what you, like you do. You have a very simple, in your book, investment policy statement. I'm investing like this because of this. I love that sheet of paper in there. But if people haven't, you know, they haven't actually taken the first step to fund the account and they haven't taken that second step to plan, does that mean that we should kind of winnow them out and say, actually, maybe just the evidence that you have not done it yet means you shouldn't do it in the future? Question. No. <laughs> we shouldn't winnow them out. Um, I, I, think, uh, I think there's like some middle ground in there that could be possible for some people that are just really non-confident in their ability to process investments. And, uh, for example, uh, Rob Engin, uh, who some of you listen to this show might be familiar with, has kind of a neat sort of halfway service uh, where, and, and Rob can explain this much better, I'm sure, than I can, but essentially he will help you uh, give you the tools and sort of walk you through how to start a do-it-yourself portfolio. So you have an experienced person there who's experienced many different platforms, and can sort of explain things to you, but you are actually doing uh, the majority of the work yourself. Uh, and then, ass assumedly, uh, you eventually will no longer need Rob, I'm sure would be his pitch, that you will be able to take what he's telling you and uh, make it work for yourself. And there's varying degrees of help out there if you do need a little bit of help getting started. Uh, but I, I really think that uh, we cross too many people out saying, oh, behavior, you're no good, you can't do it yourself, or... Um, you know, you're no good with paperwork. You're just going to take way too long to, to get all this stuff down. Uh, we should be encouraging those people to, to do it yourself, and then maybe the do-it-yourself uh, sort of stream would get a lot more press, would get a lot more uh, sort of resources directed at it, 
than than it does right now, which is almost none. So the question would be, why is do-it-yourself not as popular as it could be? Um, when I hear do-it-yourself, I initially think stock picking. Like you even kind of said, okay, it's no, I'm not necessarily an advocate for stock picking, but that's what I think. It's kind of like, okay, trade freedom, here I come. I'm going to start <laughs> executing trades. I'm buying individual stocks. I mean, that's what I got on and blew all my money. But yeah, so I mean, is there this kind of fear out there that DIY investing is stock picking and it's risky, whereas, you know, it actually is from stock picking to a couch potato strategy and everything around there. Well, let's let's actually we have layers of meaning here. So when we say should you be or could you be a DIY investor, I think, you know, at its most basic, you could say a DIY investor is anybody that does the trades themselves. Whether it's a couch potato model or they pursue a moment a momentum or a value or a dividend strategy or they pick their own stocks from, I don't know, a newsletter that they get from someone in 1998, whatever that strategy is, anybody that executes their own trades is theoretically a DIY investor. And so I guess, I mean, you could probably make a good argument for not being a DIY, DIY investor in some of those categories, but I don't think what we're talking about today is the actual investment strategy. So let's maybe narrow down that umbrella. Let's say instead well, of DIY investor, let's say should if you have kind of a Sorry, Kyle, I'm, I'm going to let you break in there. Well, I was just going to say, uh, before we actually uh, narrow the umbrella down, it and and John is, is an advocate of this in his book, he actually, if you use some of his strategies, don't actually have to make any trades at all. And you can still be a do-it-yourself investor. If you look at some of the tangerine options and now some of the robo-advisor options that have come out, you actually don't have to uh, initiate any trades. And I would still consider that uh, a do-it-yourself investor. But I don't know, John, what, what would you describe that as or, or sort of uh, place that option in the do-it-yourself continuum? Yeah, I was going to say, like, do-it-yourself is not completely black and white. So there are these options out there that help you manage it. You're paying a little bit more than you would with the bare bones, making ETF trades and a discount brokerage all on your own. But you're still going to be saving a lot of the fees and getting a lot of the benefit of being a do-it-yourself investor versus going with some kind of uh, advisor who's mostly in a sales role versus an advisory role. And then you can go and pay for advice from someone like Rob, from someone like Sandy, from all these different uh, advisors. And you know, to pitch my own site, I recently created a directory of fee-only advisors so that you can go and find some of those people. So you don't have to do everything on your own. If you need help with the complex parts of the plan, you can go and get someone to help you. And then the day-to-day -day management is not that much more difficult than managing a checkbook these days. And these days is an important addendum there because the field of investing and do-it-yourself investing has evolved so much over the years. A lot of the prejudices against it that you know our parents might have had from 20, 30 years ago are not there anymore. Brokerage accounts are very easy to set up and use online these days. And then on top of that, they have these platforms, robo-advisors, things like Tangerine. Even the mutual funds are not that hard to use. You just kind of move some money around. It's not much harder than paying a bill, which everyone can kind of manage these days. The bigger issue is the fear that's built up over you know, centuries of our civilization over here thinking that investing is something that only professionals should be doing. But we've gotten over that for some other things too. I mean, there are parts where professional advice is valuable and comes into play, but we got over having professionals pump our gas, and now we all pump our own gas at self-serve stations, and we even pay for pumping our own gas ourselves with the pay-at-the-pump stuff. And some people kind of get confused by the credit cards or just don't manage the credit cards very well, and so they still have to go in and pay in cash. But 
most people can handle that sort of thing, and it's just in part making the system easier to use, which the system is starting to do now. Those tools are coming out, and in part people just learning that it's not so scary and that they can handle it and that they get the education to do it. And so the educational component is still kind of lacking. It's not institutionalized. Um, I can plug my own stuff. I've got the value of simple out there to help investors learn how to do this on their own. There aren't a whole lot of other options. There are a few seminars. There are people you can go to. But it's, aside from in the lucky students in Manitoba who get it in Kyle's class, this isn't the thing that's taught standardized across the country in class. People have to pick it up from their family or learn it on their own. See, isn't this funny? Because I actually do not lump robo-advisors and a tangerine, let's say, all-in-one fund as do-it-yourself investing. Somebody else is buying the securities for you. In robo-advising, somebody is, at NestWealth, somebody else is rebalancing for you. At Simple, somebody else is rebalancing for you, helping you choose your asset allocation. You call them and say, I have $10,000, I, and then you talk about your goals and your investment profile and how that needs to fit into your plan, which they don't do, your financial plan, obviously. But if you give them the context, they invest it for you. I don't think that's DIY. I think it's a really good alternative for people who believe in DIY, who want to have lower costs, who believe in a systematic kind of over time the decisions are mostly made for you in advance before kind of emotional things happen. I believe all of those things are useful with the robo platform, but I don't believe that's DIY. So okay. that's kind of what so there you go. So now we're kind of coming to define terms. So so let me ask the question again then. Should everybody then, Kyle, have, let, let's just for the sake of our, let's pretend that DIY investing only involves having a Questrade account sure. with kind of three ETFs in it. Should sure. everyone have that kind of account? Then no. Uh, now, and if you, so if you hold me the dad definition, I will scale back <laughs> a little bit. And, and I think, uh, uh, again, to, to use John's book and John, John's writing as an example, he very, uh, vividly illustrates exactly what characteristics um, will separate. Do you want to save that extra 0.5% to 1% on your investments, which can be quite substantial. Uh, for many Canadians, that will be tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, over the course of their investing lives. Uh, are you willing to do a little bit of reading, just a little bit, maybe four or five hours, tops, I would say, uh, in order to get that, and some people aren't. Some people are like, no, uh, that four to five hours of, of reading about financial stuff is not worth that long-term money to me. Uh, and that's the opportunity cost that, that they're willing to bear. So uh, if we're talking about percentages of the Canadian public that want to do that, I would say somewhere maybe between 30 and 50%. Uh, I guess it depends on, on, on every individual and also depends on if... Uh, provinces get out there and accept really good proposals for personal finance curriculums that some people might be putting out there. <laughs> <laughs> nudge, nudge. <laughs> so are there people, John, you have a DIY investor service, kind of similar to what um, Kyle was talking about with Rob, kind of helping people answer their questions about, okay, now what button do I push for this kind of brokerage account or what do I answer for these forms? Would you say, obviously not telling tales out of school really, but have you encountered people that they contact you for help setting it up, and the end result is you're trying to convince them not to DIY? There have been a few cases of that, yep. Uh, yep. In one particular case, um, someone had a tough time controlling themselves when it came to the financial media. A hot story would come out about a hot stock, and he would have to go out and get it. He couldn't limit himself to the index 
view of it. He needed to feel that control, in which case it was made more sense to uh, go with a, uh, in his case, a uh, fee-for-service broker, full-service broker, uh, who then he could call up and say, hey, I heard this great thing, and then his broker could talk about it. And uh, then that broker followed an active strategy for him. Uh, some other people, they just have a little bit of difficulty with just that extra little bit of math. I know it's not complicated math, but you need to get the direction right when you're doing rounding, for instance. And they just said, that that's just too much for me. I don't need that extra quarter point from TD series versus going to... So it was just that one, you know, the straw broke the camel's back, and that was it for them. Other people had no problem managing the trades, but then they needed to hire an accountant or a bookkeeper to help them with the reporting of taxes because uh, adjusted cost base was just not something that they wanted to deal with. But finding an advisor that does that for you anyway is kind of difficult. So kind of no matter whether you're going with an advisor or on your own, you often need to hire an accountant to do your taxes if you're not comfortable with the tax part. So that's kind of neither here nor there. They were still managing the investment part of it just fine. And some people have found alternate ways of making it work. I suggest using spreadsheets because I was kind of born and raised on a computer and love Excel and spreadsheets and whatnot. Not everyone does. Spreadsheet is a means to an end. If you want to rebalance, a rebalancing spreadsheet, if you know spreadsheets well, can help you do it really quickly. For some people, the spreadsheet is an impediment because they're not familiar with the spreadsheets. It adds some more unfamiliarity and technology to it to make things go wrong. But rebalancing, again, is grade 10 math. It's not all that hard, so they pull out an envelope and then just kind of scribble on the back and they get their rebalancing calculations and then they're so uh, people will find things that work for them. These are not for everyone, but mutual funds are that much harder. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So Kyle Kyle, would you say then if I mean off I'll put you on the spot. Off off the top sure. of your head, could you think of sort of three characteristics? maybe, of somebody that you would say, yeah, you you should do this. Yep, uh, okay, off the top of my head, I think uh, someone who isn't afraid to do four to five hours of reading, yeah. uh, just be, and, it's, and you don't even need that much time to understand it, it's more four to five hours to actually just build up your confidence, to read a few different authors, to read a little bit of the background behind it, so you read John's book, uh, I know Sandy puts out a lot of stuff on this, I've written a free ebook you can you can download on our site, um, so just a few different people to sort of just sort of buttress your belief uh, in, in this sort of a thing. And again, I'm talking about do-it-yourself from a three ETF portfolio perspective. We can touch on, touch on stocks in a second here. Uh, the second thing would be the ability to understand grade 10 math, which isn't as common as, as it sounds. Um, if you need to understand basic fractions, decimals, and percentages uh, in order to just be confident with what you're doing, again, I, you don't actually have to understand this to, to use that strategy. It's that simple. But in order to be confident that what you're doing makes sense, um, because there's no advisor sitting there telling you, this is the way to go. It's a five-star fund. You can rest easy. Uh, your nest egg is growing, and you don't even have to think about it. Uh, you have no one doing that, so you have to provide that self-talk uh, for yourself. And the third one would be uh, someone who's not afraid to ask for help. Uh, basically, the idea that... You can You have to be confident enough to ask for help, and I call it uh, the Canadian emperor has no clothes frame of mind, where we're all so certain that everyone knows about money besides me that I'm never, ever going to admit that I don't know. And you have to admit you don't know if, if there's not something 
when it came to calculating the adjusted cost basis of uh, certain ETFs, I had to admit at one point, I actually don't know how to do this. I thought I did, and then I started down the road, realized I didn't. Fortunately, I've done all my investing in tax-advantaged accounts, so it's not a huge deal for me. But uh, a few years ago, I had to admit that I did not actually know how to do that. So those would be my three characteristics. Yeah. John, do so, you have others that you'd add? Yeah, so I'd add the ability to stick to a plan and to keep a long-term perspective because there will be times where the market is kind of volatile. We're getting to, looks like we're in a little bit of that right now. I know I've had a couple of people emailing me, emailing me going, oh, I just started investing and it's down 5 or 10% or whatever. And You need to be able to ride out these difficult times and keep the long-term perspective. Uh, and if not, then you need to have the resources to call on somebody. Either set it up yourself if you're a do-it-yourself investor. You know, it's great to go to uh, an echo chamber like uh, Reddit Personal Finance or uh, Canadian Money Forum or some of the blogs that will just keep telling you over and over, reassuring, it's okay, this is what happens, it's a long-term thing, it'll work out, market volatility is very normal. You know, lots of blog posts and articles that are out there, you can just print those out and read them over and over until you're through it. As long as you set up a system for yourself, whether that's someone else or setting yourself up for success, that's going to be great. And also how you handle difficulties is going to be important because it's difficult to realize that you often want to control things, but the market isn't controllable. And so if you can't come to grips with the fact that you will never be able to fully avoid a downturn in your lifetime, then uh, you might not be well suited for DIY if you're the type of person who will panic and sell out at the bottom. And unfortunately, it's sometimes difficult to say that in advance until you've gone through it, which is why it's great to try to be a DIY investor as soon as possible so you can go through it and get that experience when it's not going to hurt you as much. Yeah, yeah, that's been a new realization for me, John. Sorry. You go ahead. Sorry, you faded out on me there quick. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, I just was going to say that's been a new realization for me uh, as well that because when we first started preaching index investing and uh, sort of went online and, and started blogging, we've basically been in a bull market since then, uh, since we came online about 2010. Uh, and so all these people were like, yeah, you guys are making a lot of sense with this you know, ETFs, index investing, uh, it's the way to go. You've got me convinced. And they started They're doing good things. They built up really nice portfolios. And... In the last year, the, the Canadian portion, especially their portfolios, the last couple of years has taken a bit of a beating. And they're coming at me now being like, uh, oh, well, we were going to buy a house with that money. And like, where did you get the idea to be investing in the stock market uh, when when you wanted to buy a house? Like, what? where did I ever advocate for that? Or what sort of thinking led you to that? And then they're like, no, listen, this, this investment is down, you know, 12% or, or whatever index they're tracking is down... I don't like it anymore. And it's like, well, what happened to I thought you read my book? Like, I, that was sections three, four, and five of, of the uh, index investor commandments there. So it does seem that logic works really well when the market keeps going up. And when the market goes down, we tend to forget that there was this logic in place and that we knew somewhere in the back of our head that the market would eventually go down. Do you know, I think one of the things that would be a good um, characteristic of somebody who should DIY is somebody who isn't going into it for outperformance reasons. So outperformance to me for kind of a three ETF or what kind of that very small couch potato portfolio, outperformance is a, is a potential byproduct given what we think, the way we think the markets work and we think about kind of reversion to the mean over the long term and that sort of thing. But really this kind of this very simple... 
um, investing solution, this is kind of off topic a little bit, but the reason I would say I advocate for it is that um, it's a disciplined decisions in advance approach. It's not because we think it's going to blow every other strategy out of the water. And if that's the reason people are going in is because they kind of looked at the index numbers over the past four years, obviously at the beginning of this year and not now, that may have been a good indicator that potentially that wasn't the right strategy for them. Because I think that's also an indicator of somebody who might kind of switch strategies, you know, next month when things go go bad. You know who I've had great success uh, convincing and sticking with do-it-yourself, and like now they're preaching it, is engineers. And perhaps that's the spreadsheet yeah. uh, commandments there that John was talking about. But engineers look at it logically, and they are convinced by the data, and they're like, great, I got my sheet here. I'm good to go for the next 30 years. And they never look back. They don't question anything. They're like, no, I've read the data. I'm good. <laughs> That's fantastic. So let you tell us, you wanted to make some comments about stock investing, about DIY stock investing. Right, yeah, just before I get to that, can I just jump in with three things that I don't think DIY investors need to be, even though people might think that. You don't need to be a genius. Okay, that's the first thing. People think, oh, I need to be so smart to understand the markets. No, you don't need to be a genius, and you don't need in-depth understanding of the markets. Like, you can do this reading a couple of books. The market's going to do its thing behind the scenes. You don't need to know all the cogs and workings there, just like you don't need to know how your engine works and how the emission control system works and how, if you're driving a hybrid car, the trade-off between electric and gas operation works to just drive. No, you, all you need to know are the couple of controls that really matter, you know, the steering wheel, the gas, the brake, your money going in, your asset allocation, your rebalancing, etc. And you don't need a license. I've had a lot of people come up to me over the last year in particular and say, well, I'm interested in this, but I don't have a license. Like, what, what do I need to go and get to be able to trade for myself? I go, no, you don't need anything. You just need to create your account and log in. Someone needs a license to sell things to you, but you don't need a license to buy these things. So just three kind of... Absolutely. Okay, i got to jump in, because, Kyle, before you start picking stocks for us and telling us which investments sure, sure. we can go with. Um, okay, we've talked about the heady kind of stuff, um, what it is and what it isn't, but who is this for? Like, let's actually nail down demographics. If we've got any viewers that are watching this, and they might, they might still be thinking, hey, this isn't me. What about the 16-year-old kid with his first job and he's looking to invest? What about the 60-year-old woman who's retired? Like, is this something that is suitable for all demographics or is there a minimum amount of money that you have to have before you can become a DIY investor? Uh, address some of the actual particulars. Who does this, who should? So it's very wide in terms of demographics because it's all about whether they're able to stick to the plan. So that's why we've been focusing so much on behavior and understanding that sort of thing. You can start with very little money. You can open an account at Tangerine with 100 bucks. Uh, at TDE series, you need more like 500-ish to be able to get a decent allocation between the four different uh, funds that you'll need. And I recommend about 5,000 before you start looking at ETFs with something like Questrade. Not very much money in the absolute scheme of things. Maybe a lot of money to an 18-year-old, but really not a lot of money when you're starting to save. And you don't need to have it all piled up, you know, on a big pile. You don't need to wait till you hit 40,000, 50,000 before you start. You can start as soon as you've got that first hundred or thousand bucks in your savings account that you don't need for a near-term emergency fund or, as Kyle was mentioning, like a down payment for something that's in the near term. As soon as you've got money that you know you can keep in the long term, you can start investing. And the sooner you start, the better, because then when the market crash eventually comes along, if it comes along soon enough, well, you don't have very much money in there. You might go, oh, that's all of my money, but 
it's not really going to hurt me, and then you can kind of build up that callus to market volatility that you're going to need yeah. down the road. You uh, know what, whether you're going to roll, doesn't matter. That's, that's the thing, Jackson. I don't think it's an actual demographic. I don't think we could nail it down in the way that we like to in personal finance and say, well, if you're between 5000 and 50000 you should do X, Y, and Z. It's much more about somebody's actual characteristics as a person. And so I think the difficult thing is it's very easy for us to look at somebody and the way that they behave with their investments after they become a DIY investor and say, oh, no, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You obviously have the characteristics of somebody who should not be a DIY investor. But I think you're right. It is very difficult to ahead of time, before somebody opens their brokerage account, to look at something else or to give somebody practical advice and say, well, you you know how to budget. You have controlled the way that you've spent your money and you've aligned it to the, of course, I'm going to talk about budgeting. But that, to me, might be a good characteristic. Somebody who takes the time to kind of dig into the minutia of how they spend and uses some kind of system in a way that kind of allows that to tick along over time and get them to their goals might be the kind of person with the mindset that could do DIY. But that person might be 64 and already retired or 82 and already retired or they might be, you know, 16 with their first job or 25 with four kids already or you'd, I, you couldn't, I don't think you could nail it down by demographic. The, the end. Yeah, <laughs> what these guys said. I got 16-year-olds. I got I, I'll tell you a quick story, uh, Jackson. I got a, I got a. He was 16 last year. My personal finance course. He went into the bank. He told his mom, "I got a thousand bucks saved from his job, the bakery. He wanted to do this retirement long-term thing because he'd saw what compound interest could do." And he's kind of his own thinker, this guy. And uh, so anyway, he goes in. His mom decides to go in with him, seeing how he's a minor. <clears throat> they go in, see her friend at a major bank that I I won't slander here, and. Uh, they sit down with an advisor, and uh, she says uh, pretty much what everyone hears when they go into any big bank in Canada. Yes, we have some excellent retirement savings options for you here, sir. Within a TFSA and an RSP, uh, you can do, um, oh, I guess not a TFSA in his case, seeing so he's not 18 yet. But we have some excellent retirement options here for you. And uh, here's the mutual fund we're recommending this year. It's a, it's a really great deal, et cetera, et cetera. And he says to her, okay, what index funds do you have? And she actually didn't know uh, what an index fund was at the time. And uh, so he said, well, is it a lower fee? So she had to type it in and look at her computer. And then she said, no, it's not. And eventually, long story short, he brings information back to me. She was actually comparing. Uh, I don't know. I hope I want to say that it wasn't because she was intentionally misleading him. It was an honest error. But she actually had compared the results of an international um, uh, sorry, an international ETF uh, index fund, uh, rather, to uh, a U.S.-based uh, mutual fund. And so she hadn't compared apples to apples and had sort of misled him as far as both fees and uh, performance had went. And so anyway, he just decided to heck with it. Uh, I'm going to do my own, my own index thing. This doesn't look like that much paperwork, and uh, he will be a, a do-it-yourself investor now. So he was a 16-year-old. Uh, I don't think he would describe himself as a math genius by any means. He's probably a middling math student. And uh, he just seems to understand. He's, he's a little bit stubborn, has a little hint of stubbornness to him, just enough. And uh, he might take after his teacher in that regard. And he's convinced now that uh, banks make very hefty profits uh, selling products to guys like him, and I don't think he's wrong. So. Yeah, I don't think he's wrong either. And actually, I, if I could chime in on the bank experience... I don't think that that was an unusual case at all. Whether whether either she just actually I would bet a lot of money that 
if I bet things. <coughs> Excuse me. I would bet that she had no idea what the difference was at all. I don't think she was misleading right. him. I think she just didn't even know what an index fund was. Excuse I agree. Me. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, so as far as uh, we talked a little bit about picking stocks just before we wrap up the show. If we're talking about DIY picking stocks, I would say like less than 1% of the population in Canada should look at picking stocks and and perhaps Jackson can can talk about why that's the case maybe a little bit more uh, if you're gonna pick stocks in Canada here's here's what I tell my students <clears throat> if you're gonna pick stocks think about who's on the other end of most trades uh, in the Canadian American stock markets I can't speak for Europe I haven't read as much on theirs I would assume it's very similar uh, think about who's the on the other end of that trade the majority of the time it's uh, a major uh, fund, huge fund, or it's a uh, uh, professional with access to insider information or a, a supercomputer with an algorithm or someone who has went to business school, has an MBA, understands how to read uh, business documents probably far better than most retail investors. So just realize that's who's on the other end of most trades. So if you're going to try and beat that person, uh, you had better be willing to do what they're willing to do and put that much analysis into your stocks. Oh, Kyle, that's wonderful. That's fantastic. I like that a lot. Actually, so I would say it came to me as I was listening to you and basking in the wisdom of what you had to say. That makes someone one of you today. But, yeah. <laughs> someone who doesn't think they're that special probably would do well as a DIY investor in kind of the ETF portfolio that we're talking about. If you think, man, I'm probably not all that special. I'm probably not going to blow it out of the water. I just kind of want to plod along. I'm persistent. Um, I've shown myself to kind of be able to stick to things, stick to a plan, and be kind of slightly less emotional about money. Then you could be a good, great DIY investor. Agree? Yeah, eight to ten percent is great. Uh, like if that's if that's what you're aiming for, the equity part of your portfolio, man, I think you're awesome. Eight, if you look at what eight to ten percent compounded looks like, and maybe some would say I'm being a little ambitious in that forecast, but uh, I don't think it's totally crazy looking at at inequities. Uh, seven. Sandy says seven. You seven. I said six. Uh, six. Six? <laughs> six for an equities portfolio? Oh, Sandy's very cautious. Real return. Real return. Uh, okay, real return. No, nope, you're right. Real return. Absolutely. I was talking in uh, overall numbers. So, sure, real return. Uh, that's ambitious then. That's at the top end of my uh, of my scale for talking real return. So, I think that's great. Uh, I, I don't know. If you look at what compounding does with a number like that, um, I don't think you need to be a superstar personally. I, I can reach my sort of middle-class goals just fine on that number. Yeah, me too. That's fantastic. John, do you have anything else you want to add? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, if we're talking about active investing and trying to get those numbers, it is also very easy to plug into some of those compound growth calculators, something like Warren Buffett's record of 20%, and then go, ooh, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> nice. I like. Um, but... It's very difficult to be Warren Buffett. Uh, the reason he is so famous is because of how excellent his record was. Uh, also, he dispenses really excellent gems of wisdom, but because of how fantastic that record was, just off the charts. Like That is unrealistic for someone to expect to be able to get by doing active investing on their own. So, you know, we're talking fractions of fractions of fractions of a percent of the population, and you need to honestly assess yourself if you are in that area. And the real issue is that, just like with drivers, lots of people think they're well above average, and they're really not necessarily so much. So uh, that can be a big issue. So uh, that further depletes the pool of people who should be active investors, is that the ones who are most likely to think that, yes, they should be, probably shouldn't be, because they're not assessing their abilities, honestly. <laughs> 
Uh, and it's not just that you need to be emotional and analytical if you're trying to be an active investor. You also have to be very independent thinking because the markets price things that are well-known and well-accepted in very quickly right. and very stringently. Uh, I, I love Prem Watsa. He gave a great talk at Ivy a couple of years ago that I'd love to quote uh, or approximately quote, uh, if I may here. So he talks about how almost everything in human endeavors works really well if you take the average of what a bunch of experts say. So if you take a bridge that you want to build or an oil refinery and you get the engineers, 10 engineers to give you a plan for a bridge, 10 engineers to give you a plan for an oil refinery, take the average oil refinery, take the average bridge, take the average highway bed development, the average skyscraper uh, load-bearing pillar thickness that they decide on, you're going to come up pretty well, pretty decent bridge, pretty decent refinery, pretty decent building, whatever. If you take the agreement consensus of 10 people who are doing active investing, the number is almost certainly wrong because it's including everything that they think they know and then something comes up that surprises them and the price deviates wildly. And so you have to be the person that understands what that surprise is going to be that the 10 other people didn't catch. And it's very difficult to be that independent because you know humans are social, somewhat hurting animals, and we don't like to be the person that has these incredibly varied independent views. We like to have people agree with us, and if you're going to be someone who's picking individual stocks, then you need to be able to separate yourself really far from the herds and the different than what everybody else is thinking to find movies. And that's very difficult both from the analysis side and the emotional behavioral side. Uh, whereas index investing is a lot easier because you just pick up on what all these people are doing. That's where you manage to catch the average of what they're doing by averaging across all the stocks, not just the one stock where they're coming to consensus because overall that average is going to bring come up with all the growth that's happening in the market as all those companies make profits. Ah, there you go. Jackson, anything to add yourself? No, I thought that was awesome. The only thing that Kyle was saying is, I, and that's something I learned after my stock portfolio went, like 98% was just done in two weeks, was at the end of every trade that I made, I was buying aggressively. There was someone selling aggressively. And that person ended up being a lot smarter than me. So, yeah, that, I, I'm with you. All of you guys, yeah. So I like it. But that's a good show. I enjoyed it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, John. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.